0: In chapter 4, I would hope and pray every heart with us today echoes the sentiments of that song, Hallelujah, what a Savior, that He is your Savior. As Paul was explaining this very thing here to the church in the city of Ephesus, which would be modern-day Turkey, he was explaining to them, we'll start reading in verse 5 of chapter 4, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. Now it's that phrase that he led captivity captive that has arrested uh, my attention, and I would like to spend some time. I have uh, labored some where uh, and checking, trying to see if anyone would uh, spend some time in commentaries and things on this phrase about. Leading captivity captive. And, uh, and um, very much couldn't find anything people would say. Well, it's just two forms of the same word. And and it talks about victory and and, and, and these things. In fact, some have even tried to liken this to the uh, parade of prisoners that was often had when, uh, in the days of Rome. And before them, they would... Uh, uh, when the conquering Caesar would come back, behind him would be a train of uh, prisoners that were taken and captive, and he would put them on display. And And they tried to say that that was an illustration of this verse. And I, I would I would suggest today, and hope by the end of the time you would agree with me, that that is actually the antithesis or the exact opposite of what this verse is talking about. You see, we start in verse 7. It says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Paul, when he was writing Titus, put it this way, The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. The fact that, There is not a human being on this earth that is exempt from the grace of God ought to be comfort to us. And yet, in history, we know many people that have suffered many things. I want to be a student of history. Much of our Bible is a simple history. They are real stories of real people who really lived um, sometimes when I'm with other pastors uh, they'll say well what book are you reading and I'll say well you you don't uh, you don't want to know it's uh, I, I don't believe in reading the next new book talking about some great thing that was discovered I I read one of those one time actually I got a phone call uh, and uh, this it was a Man and he was wanting our church to support him in missionary endeavors, and he said, I've made an amazing discovery. God wants to train national people who live in their country to reach their people. And I was just in silence. And I said, You 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 just made that discovery. Oh yes. And my first thought is, who in the world have you been with? What Bible have you been reading that that would be a discovery to you? Because that's the essence of the Scriptures. That is old as the book of Acts. That is not a new thing. And if it's a new thing to you, you've been doing a lot of things that aren't just right. See, there's nothing new in this Bible, amen? Our faith is simple. Faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when people want to use the suffering of this world to challenge the grace of God, I have a few stories for them. Open the book of Joshua and read the story of Rahab the harlot from Jericho how that she was rescued from the city when everyone else was destroyed and actually incorporated into Israel. And and her grandson was the father of King David. Rahab the harlot. It's an amazing story of God's grace. Now that says each of us have received grace... But unto every one of us, I'm sorry, is given grace. Now here's how that grace is given. According to the measure of the gift of Christ. How many of you have ever gotten a phone call and you immediately hear a recording? You have been selected for a free gift. A three day night and cruise in the Caribbean. 100% free. How many of you gotten one of those things? Now, don't raise your hand if you accepted the gift, alright? Because you'll find out it's not free. It's going to cost you far more than that cruise is worth. To get yourself extricated from all the things that they tie on to you. But here it says that we're giving grace according to the measure. Now, if it's of the gift of Christ. Now, what is the gift of Christ, my friend? It's summed up in those three words in English. One word in Hebrew means the same thing. It is finished. That is the gift of Christ. He will forgive your sins. You need to understand something. If you think you have a bigger problem or a more pressing need than your sin problem between you and God, Something is desperately wrong in your understanding of life and God. There is no greater issue you face. No greater problem that needs to be solved than the issue of your sin between you and God. Could we say amen to that? You Say, I agree. That's what amen. It's like, and so we're, we're moving on here. Here is the gift of grace. Here is the grace that is given to us. It's given unto us corresponding to the measure according to, agreeing to, matching. What what the author, what Paul is trying to say here is the grace of God is great enough to forgive you for all your sin. Every person that ever lived, you can have That grace. Then we come to a word that I love in my Bible. Wherefore. Now, wherefore is a connecting word. It means because of. It means because of this grace that is given to every one of us by the gift of Christ... This explains the statement when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now we need to get a little background here. Paul is quoting Psalm 68, verse 18. Wherefore he ascended on high, led captivity captive, and gave gifts unto men. That's uh, Psalm 68. Now, that's a psalm of David. It's actually one of David's greatest psalms, just simply praising and giving glory to God. The inscription at the beginning of the psalm says that it was written when David was able to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to the city of Jerusalem. Now, you remember, David did not build the temple. Solomon did after David's death. But the Ark had been captured by the Philistines. It it had been brought back. And for years, it had sat in the house of one of the priests there. And David had tried to take it. Remember, he put it on a cart like the Philistines had. And one of the priests riding the cart, as the oxen stumbled, it jostled. And he reached over to touch the ark and was killed instantly. Now I want to challenge you. Uzzah could not allow the ark to fall off the cart. He couldn't. It was made out of gold. It was hundreds of years old at this point in time. It was made out of solid gold. It would have been bent up and destroyed. It should have never been put on the ark in the first place. Then David read the Bible and realized that the ark should be carried on the shoulders of the priest. And so they consecrated the priest and they carried the ark. And they took it and they brought it up and set it in Jerusalem. And David wrote this psalm. When he hath ascended on high... He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, how many of you know where David was actually quoting another psalm from the book of Judges in chapter 5, the psalm of Deborah? As Israel, (coughs) uh, that that section of Israel there um, was being oppressed by Jabin, king of Hazer, and God called a man named Barak to go, and Deborah was the prophetess. She was the leader at that point because there were no men really responsible to take the job. And so God spoke through, and Deborah, uh, preached on this through, on Mother's Day. She said, I rose as a mother in Israel. She was not a dictator. She was not the Iron Lady like Margaret Thatcher. She understood that the troops needed to be led by a man. And she went to him and said, you're going to lead. And he said, I'm not going if you're not. What a sissy. But men are known for that. Guys, you wait till Father's Day. We'll talk about that. Amen. But Deborah, in her song, was talking about how that the host of Sisera had been destroyed. Of Jabin, the Sisera was their captain. And it said that he led captivity captive, and so it just that phrase arrested me and i uh, and i I wanted us to think about it it's an ancient phrase in in the history of Israel, and yes, its primary meaning is simply victory over the enemy, yes, but here. And in the Psalms, it's applied to the work of Jesus on the cross, that he ascended up on high. He led captivity captive. And so it might be interesting for us to go through some of these passages. And let's just go to Matthew chapter 27 for a minute. And I want to read an interesting verse. And and I'll tell you what, uh, don't read commentaries on this passage, please. Uh, they are all, all so messed up. You just got to let the Bible speak for itself. Matthew chapter 27. And uh, we'll just get the context in verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried with again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many." Now, when Jesus died on the cross, he cried out with a loud voice in the Hebrew, one word, to tell us die. In the English, the translation is, it is finished, he died. The earth began to quake. The temple complex, one of the wonders of the ancient world, really, at that point, the veil in that temple, they tell us, was six inches thick of woven linen. The best illustration I could give you is you could take two semi-trucks, the great big ones, hook them to each end of that curtain and drive in opposite directions, and it would not rend. Linen is one of the strongest materials we have. Six inches of woven linen. And the Word of God ripped that thing from the top to the bottom. Not the bottom to the top. It wasn't something man did. It was something God did. And when that veil was rent, you know what the priest and everyone that went into the temple saw—an empty marble slab with bloodstains on it. The ark was gone. The ark had not been there since the days of Solomon. The second temple had no ark; just a white marble slab where it should have been it was showing the emptiness. And the foolishness of man's religion. The book of Hebrews tells us it was showing us that the direct access to God had been opened through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Someone has once said, do you have any priest in your church? No. Well, technically, everybody is a priest here. Because a priest means you have access to God. And every believer in Jesus Christ can pray directly to the Father in His name. And that is a wonderful, wonderful truth. But we have these resurrection of these bodies coming out of the grave and people who were dead walking around the city of Jerusalem alive. And somebody says, what, what in the world happened? Uh, I just believe what the Bible said. I, I can't explain it. And uh, you try to get a book on eschatology, if you can pronounce it, uh, that study of the end times. And, and they dance around this thing like somebody in a Broadway show. I mean, they just have no idea. I'll, I'll tell you what it is. It's, an expo- it's, it's what this verse is talking about here, leading captivity captive. That's what happened. And I, I want us to examine this thing. The word captivity. Let me read you the textbook definition here. The condition of being a captive. The state of being held prisoner by an enemy or conqueror. Sometimes, specifically, that of the Jews at Babylon. Now, if you want to know where I got my definition, it's out of the Oxford English Dictionary. This is not a a Bible dictionary. This is the lexicon of the English language. Twenty volumes. And uh, that is the primary definition of the word captivity. Now, let me read you the word, definition of the word captive. Definition number one, taken prisoner in war or kept by force, kept in confinement or bondage. Now, if you look it up in the Greek, it's going to tell you it's different forms of the same word to take a prisoner. Deep. Well, what does it mean that he led captivity captive? Well, could we first talk about captivity? I just finished reading a history, World War II, 900 pages. And uh, uh, I'll tell you, No new information, but amazing. And when it talked about the things in Europe, and uh, of course this idea of captivity was all the way through that story as Hitler conquered and kept captive the peoples of Europe. And one of his primary goals was the eradication of the Jewish people off of the face of the earth six million Jews died in what is now called the Holocaust and if you're a Holocaust denier there's the door my friend because it wasn't only Jews that he killed the number of Russian people that were murdered by the Nazis going through will never be calculated when you get into the Balkans, in Romania, and Yugoslavia, uh, in the mountains of Greece, but let me tell you who suffered the worst, was the Polish people. Because they were murdered by the Nazis on the way in and on the Russians on the way out. The history of the Polish people during those few years is, is the most tragic chapter in human history I know of. It it was incredible. But here's the one thing that just kept coming over and over again. Why couldn't they do anything about it? How many of you have ever read the, the story or uh, they made a movie in 1963, I think it was, called The Great Escape. Uh, it's a famous movie. It's about 77 prisoners of war, mostly British airmen. And you have to understand that the movie, they had to condense all kinds of things way down. You ought to get the book. It's, it's called The Longest Tunnel. A- and read the story of of how those men suffered in trying to escape. Seventy-seven men went through that tunnel that night. Does anybody remember how many of them actually found freedom? Three. Fifty were murdered by the Gestapo in reprisal for having escaped. They were still chasing those guys all over Europe. They escaped the first of April. They were still chasing them. They were still trying to apprehend them and murder these men. It was direct orders from Hitler himself that he wanted at least 50 of them killed when our troops came ashore in D-Day in June. They were still chasing these guys. They were still trying to round them up. They were still tying down the enemy (laughs) behind the lines When the attack came across the channel. But I want to challenge you. Only three finding freedom out of 77. That's not very good odds, is it? How many people survived from the Jewish ghetto in Warsaw? Almost none. Were there uprisings? Oh, yeah. In the annals of bravery, there's just a few Jewish people with a couple of pistols held off the entire German army for over a month. It's an amazing story. But in the end, they were all killed. Every last one. Because they were captives. You see, the problem is we don't understand being captive. If someone came and took you down the street, put you in a prison cell, what would be your first statement? I want my lawyer! Give me my rights! This is America! You can't do that to me! And you know what? You'd be right. As long as you hadn't committed some felonious act, you you would be right in saying that. You cannot be incarcerated here for no reason. This is one of the only places on the face of the earth that you don't need to be afraid of the police officers. Can we thank God for that? They actually are there to help you. Now, if the IRS calls up, don't believe it for a second. But uh, that's another subject. Listen. The idea of being a captive Why all of these terrible things happened to those peoples living in Europe is because they were held captive by the power of Nazi Germany. If you study anything about the Nazis, their philosophy comes from only one place. It's called hell. And it's servants of the devil himself. These men... Hitler himself wanted to build a new world where he was worshipped as God. If you don't believe that, read the history books. It is more than well documented. You see, the one who holds us captive was the same one that inspired Hitler to all of his evil. You see, when you commit sin, you become the servant of sin. Uh, by the way, that word servant means slave, owned property. Why do people do the things they do? What inspired a man like Bernie Madoff to steal? All that money from people. He was stealing from the rich and giving to the rich. There's no sense. But people do wicked things because they think it gives them power. And here is the one undeniable truth that you just cannot get past. Innocent people always suffer because of the domination of the wicked. You you just can't get past that. And you don't need to be in prison to be a captive. There are people who are held captive because of financial and economic reasons. There are people that are held captive Because of different things. And we could go through all the reasons, but just simply, you become a captive, basically, when you're defeated. And every one of us has been defeated by the devil. So, it's pretty easy to ascertain the captivity, which is spoken of here, is talking about the souls of humanity in captivity to sin, controlled by the devil. Are we in agreement there? And so, this idea of leading captivity captive. You can't set yourself free from sin. You know, one of the things that I remember reading in the stories of these people who escaped from Nazi Germany, not a one of them did it without help. They had to have help of some kind. They had to be sheltered as they were traveling through uh, uh, occupied territory and being hunted by the Gestapo and different police forces. Every person that escaped had to have help of some kind. There was no idea. Only in the movies do the prisoners rise up and shoot down all the guards. I mean, it's just so stupid. I used to... As a child, a young teenager, I used to watch some of those TV shows, Hogan's Heroes and Things, and laugh and laugh and laugh until I read the real histories. I can't stand to watch those shows anymore. Because what those people suffered is, is so real. You can't make fun of it. They were captives. They were being starved to death in many cases, slowly, Painfully. You see, that's what captivity does to people. You know, some people would say, well, so and so is a captive of their own emotions. That's so very descriptive of many people. But could I challenge you that the devil is the master manipulator of emotion? And that this idea of captivity is because of sin. If we could take a serum that would destroy guilt and put it in a bottle. And then fill a syringe and inject it into the arms of people. We could empty the psychiatric wards of this country. But there is no such serum. Because the only way to be set free is to have someone do it for you. You see, that's one of the reasons why the armies fought inch for inch and foot for foot to regain control of those lands in Europe and Asia. was because as they did that, they would come to a place and they would see the barbed wire and they'd realize that these were people being held captive here. In most instances... It would take months of careful medical help to bring people back to where they could even eat normal food again because of what had been done to them. Some people would never recover mentally from the things that they had seen and experienced. It was was a terrible time. That's that's the way captivity works under the tyrannical uh, desires of a madman. Could I challenge you? The devil is no less mad and his tyranny no less oppressive. But here it says that he led captivity captive. Now that's an interesting thought. We're going to take those that are captive under tyranny and now we're going to give them a new captivity. We're still going to hold them by force. That's what the word means. So how does that apply? Well, let's look at the context. Maybe the easiest way to illustrate this would be go back to the story of Deborah in the book of Judges. Why had God given Jabin, king of Hazar ascendancy and ability to dominate and torture and put into captivity that whole center section of the nation of Israel during those years? Well, you read Deborah's song, and that were new gods. Then was the sound of war in the camp. You see, the people of Israel, if you read the book of Judges, is a constant cycle of disobeying God and going out and sinning, and then God brings judgment upon them, captivity, they cannot free themselves. Then they turn and they look to God and God sends them a deliverer. And they'll have peace during the time of the judge. Why? Because their behavior has changed. Oftentimes. You see, well, let's just, sorry, let's just go forward here. When he hath ascended on high, that's pretty simple. John chapter 21, Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascended 40 days after His resurrection. Amen? It says that He led captivity. Now, what we're talking about, those that were held in captivity to sin, He led them captive. He held them by force. See, this is just another testimony to the saving grace of God. He has never... Ever lost a soul. He holds us by the force of his grace. You see, what you need to understand, I I don't I couldn't tell you how many sermons in 25 years I've preached on surrendering to Christ. Because that's how you get saved. Amen. You surrender your life, you surrender. What you're going to do, you surrender your direction. You surrender how you think about things. You surrender your understanding of what is right and wrong. And you adopt God's understanding. That's how you get saved. Could we say amen to that? It's not just prayer, prayer, folks. It's not just turn over a new leaf. You cannot dig a tunnel and escape from the tyranny of sin because you take yourself wherever you go. You can't get past yourself till you come to an old rugged cross and an empty tomb. And you simply believe that it is finished. The way I love to put it is, if you're going to get saved, you've got to come to Jesus just the way you are. He doesn't want you cleaning up. He doesn't want you trying to please Him. He wants you to surrender to Him. He's going to take you captive. He's not going to let you live the way you did. He's going to change everything about you. And He's going to keep you in His grace for all eternity. And the Christian life now becomes a surrender to the rules Of your new captivity. The only problem is. As you surrender to captivity to Jesus. You will realize more freedom and more blessings. Than you could ever believe or comprehend. How many say pastor I know that's true in my life. He gives me freedom. My motivation is no more. Fear. And dominance. And death. It is love for the one who died on the cross to save me. That's why it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto him, which is your reasonable service. Why is it reasonable? Because I'm held captive in the grace of Jesus Christ. I didn't earn it. And I can't lose it. You see, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. Read Luke chapter 16. We'll just very quickly, we don't have time to deal with the whole thing this morning, but uh, you have the story of the rich man and Lazarus. The rich man was in hell because he had refused God's grace, Lazarus the beggar was in paradise. Uh, he was leaning on Abraham's bosom, and someone coined the phrase, to name that place, Abraham's bosom, because that's where they were, and, and that's what described it. And Abraham told him, there's a gulf fix. You can't come here, and we can't go there. That's not heaven. But when Jesus ascended on high, He went down to those souls that were captive until the work of the cross had been finished. And He took them to heaven. And they're never going to get out. But that's a good thing. Amen? That's where I want to be. I think I could enjoy that kind of captivity. How about you? It's a play on words. So that you can understand that God though He sent His Son to live in human flesh and to die in our place, is not going to give you freedom to do whatever you want. You can't work out a deal with God. You're not going to negotiate salvation with Him. If you're going to get saved, you're going to get saved God's way, not your way. And it'll be the best thing that's ever happened in your life. How many would say amen to that? And as we surrender, he conforms us to the image of Jesus Christ. You know, the word Christian means like Christ. If Christians were all like Christ, would this world be a better place? Why isn't it? Because we haven't surrendered to the rules of our new captivity. We have secret agent Christians. You ever met one of those? I'm going to sneak in there and give them the gospel and they won't even know it. And they won't get saved either. That's the problem. If you're going to get saved, you've got to know what you're doing. You've got to willfully surrender to the truth of Jesus Christ. You can't do it by mistake. It's got to be on purpose. That's why the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I've been a captive of Jesus since August 28, 1977. And I've enjoyed every moment of it except those in which I tried to rebel against the rules of my captivity when I disobeyed my Savior. Every good thing in my life has been because of obedience to Jesus Christ. And we don't have enough time for me to tell you the good things in my life. There are just too many of them. Because God is so good. You see, if you're going to come to God, it's got to be His way, not yours. It's got to be a surrender. The last part of that phrase says, He led captivity captive... And he gave gifts unto men. How many of you remember a time in your life when you were trying and striving to work hard enough to earn your salvation from God? Anybody remember that? Was that fun? That was a greater bondage than you could ever describe. Every time you did something wrong, you said, Man, how much right am I going to have to do to weigh this thing out? Well, the answer is very simple. You can't. The only thing that pays the price for your sins is what Jesus finished on the cross. Can we say amen to that? I'm here today and I can tell you I know I'm saved, not because I'm a good guy, but because Jesus saved me. He gave me another gift. Paul refers to them in the beginning of that chapter. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. You know, I had to get that thing straightened out. I was a student in Bible college studying for the ministry. I got saved when I was 11, baptized when I was 8. That's not baptism. It doesn't work that way. you got to get saved first and then baptized. Uh, the church I was grew up in, that wasn't a big deal to them. As long as you got wet somewhere, it was okay. Well, I said... The preacher said, that's not okay. Do you agree? I said, I agree with the Bible. And so as a sophomore in Bible college. I was baptized. And I can look back on that and say, you know what? I stepped out in obedience to Christ and simply submitted to His Word. Rules of captivity. I have a thing called the church. One of the greatest gifts God has given to us as human beings is the fellowship of that we can share as members one of another in a local assembly of believers. Don't get caught up in this universal invisible thing. It's a local physical contact. You see, a body, in order for it to live, has got to have all the pieces connected to each other in the same location. And they've got to be living together. Otherwise, it's called an autopsy, Right? You see, that's a gift that Jesus gave through His death and His burial and His resurrection. You know, living in the church puts some constraints on your life. It changes some things. It doesn't give you the freedom to do whatever you want to. You you do things through the church. The church is your context for your relationship with God. It doesn't give you salvation. It can't take it away. But it's the place where I live for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it says, go ye, not go me. We got help. We can do this together. And every day, as I try to live for Jesus Christ, if it's a good day, I'm surrendered to the rules of His new captivity. And I have more freedom to get more done than any human being ought to be allowed to do. And those of you members of church know exactly what I'm talking about. The Lord's given us another building in Brooklyn, and we're trying to build it, and we just started a brand new church today in the Bronx, with Brother Franz, and we're, uh, we're stretching out in, in many different directions and helping other churches. When we started out, we had support from churches so we could start. Now, we're supporting others so they can start. And if somebody had told me I'd be this busy and have this many things on my plate, I think I'd have been frightened to death and quit. That's why God doesn't tell you until it happens. Amen. And it's surrendering to him. Isn't that what a captive is? It's when you surrender your authority and power to someone else. Or they forcibly take it. Now, Jesus will never take it from you. But once you give it to him, he's never going to let you go. You say, well, what if I decide I don't want it? Well, if you decide you don't want it, you never got what Jesus has, number one. And number two, if your brain ever gets messed up, one of the great fears most of us have is if we think about Alzheimer's and what it does to people. I know that even if Alzheimer's takes this brain of mine and destroys it, I'm still held captive. That's what Paul said. He said, I apprehend that which I'm apprehended of. Jesus led captivity captive the day I surrendered to Him and got saved. And He's keeping me in His grace. And I have all those gifts. And we could talk about the gift of the Bible today. We could talk about The gift of being able to serve Jesus Christ. We could talk about all of those things. But I just want to challenge you as we finish on this Sunday morning. If you have yet to surrender to captivity to Christ, I must admonish you that you're in captivity to the devil. Say, well, I don't feel bound up. What did the Pharisees say when Jesus said, I'll make you free indeed? They said, We've never been in bondage to any man. And yet, there were Roman soldiers walking up and down the streets testifying to the lie of that statement. They weren't free. They were enslaved by the Roman Empire. Many people in captivity found ways to make it very comfortable for themselves. Uh, The name that was usually applied was collaborators. That's not a pleasant word. In fact, after the war was over, World War II, there were people who dedicated their entire lives to nothing but the apprehension and punishment of those collaborators. Some through vigilanteism and some through the courts, but Uh, I'll tell you what, it was a terrible, terrible thing. You can find comfort in captivity if you'll just agree with the devil. But I'll tell you what, if you'll surrender to Jesus Christ, you'll find freedom that only he can give. But he keeps me. He's not going to let me go. That's why Paul put it this way so we can understand that our salvation is not just another neat thing that I can put on the wall or another bead in my rosary chain that I can pray. It's being born again. It's being brought into the Father's house, not as a slave, but as a son. But if I'm going to live there, I'm going to live according to His rules, not mine. And it will be the best thing that ever happened to you. To surrender in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive. And he gave gifts unto man. Tell you what. You need to take a moment as we pray and examine Your captivity. Is it a captivity to Jesus Christ and to His Word? Or is it a captivity that's inspired by the devil? You can be set free from all of those things to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can enjoy those gifts. And you can live in that grace that is given to all men, but that doesn't mean all men are going to receive it. But if you will, it's only measured by the work of Jesus Christ, which is all sufficient. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer this morning. And we're thankful on this Resurrection Sunday that we can celebrate the resurrection and we can remember the fact that you rose again from the dead. Conquer death and sin and all of the evil that is in this world. Lord, I pray that there wouldn't be one here that would refuse that grace that is given to them. That they would surrender to Jesus Christ. That they would take account that they are being held captive by the greatest tyrant in the history of the universe, the devil himself. And that the only comforts they're enjoying is because they're in agreement with the terms of their captivity. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of their heart that they may see their need for a Savior. And that they would surrender to the finished work of Jesus Christ. That they may escape that captivity which will last for all eternity. If they do not, Lord, we then pray for those here today that are saved. And Lord, as many of us are carrying burdens of this life and struggling with things, that we would understand that if we are saved, we're held captive by Jesus Christ. And all we need to do is surrender. And we'll find that great freedom and that love and that grace that has been talked about will be sufficient for every need and every work that our life has. We ask, Lord, that you would be glorified in the surrender of people's hearts and salvation and surrender of those that are saved in daily living, that we may enjoy those gifts that you have given unto us. We ask, Lord, That we would be willing and good captives, captives of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.